Today, as believers, we know, we sing about, we hope in the victory that we have coming in Jesus. We have coming in Jesus' great victory. There is coming a day when there's going to be no more sickness, there's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain or death. Uh, the song says there's going to be no more parting over there. Uh, we know as believers that day uh, is coming. Those days are coming. We have that victory in our Savior Jesus. As believers, we also know that that victory has been settled, that it is secure in the finished work of Jesus. Uh, in him, we have confidence it is finished that the victory is won. We can be sure today as we have assembled, it is not up in the air. It is not yet to be determined. It is not undecided. But in Jesus, the victory has already been won. And here's what I've been considering, or here's what I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. And those two realities give us victory now. Those two realities, I've been considering that, thinking about that. Those two truths, those two realities give us victory now. Did you know there is no event that we can walk through, there is no situation that can arise that can downplay or can diminish or change those truths. Victory is coming and victory is won in the person of Jesus Christ. And so listen to me. Today, as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers, whatever the situation we find ourselves in, whatever is coming, we're able today to walk in victory. We're able in these days, we're not having to wait for some other day, we're able to walk in victory. The crazy events of the last week, as I watch them, as I see what is going on in our world, I think two things. Now, the first thing I think as I watch all of those events is the fact that people better wake up. And that's the first thing. If you don't think uh, things are getting serious, if you don't think it's getting very soon to the coming of Jesus, to the rapture of the church, people better wake up. Lost people better wake up. Saved people better wake up. They better start telling lost people. The first thing I think when I see all of those things is people better wake up. Second thing I think is this. Jesus has already won. And you know what? We do not have to get worried. We don't have to get filled with anxiety. Uh, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? The song says, it is already won in Jesus. Did you know that? We can trust that. We watch those crazy events. Hey, we ought to be aware. Uh, we ought to be urgent spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we can be sure we have victory in Jesus. Today, we're going to continue in the 11th chapter of Revelation. Remember, uh, I said it last week, some uh, scholars say it is the hardest chapter of the Revelation to interpret. I know when you look at it, it does seem that way. Uh, today we're going to continue and we're going to finish the 11th chapter. Today our message is entitled, Promises Kept. Promises Kept. Today we're in Revelation chapter 11, verses 14 through 19. Revelation chapter 11, verses 14 through 19. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Promises kept. Revelation chapter 11 beginning in the 14th verse, God's Word says this. The second woe is past. 
Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 19, and the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we rejoice. And we are thankful today. We're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful that it points us to the living Word, Jesus. We're thankful that in Christ we have a Savior. We have the forgiveness of our sin. We have restoration, redemption, that we can be right and righteous before a holy God. Lord, I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for, for this church, for the ability to come and to assemble and today and to sing and to, to, to speak your praises. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I, I pray that it would be uh, not normal, not in, not in any shape. I, I pray it would not be normal. I, would, I pray it wouldn't be a lecture. I pray it wouldn't be just the passing on of, of information, but I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word. You tell us, tell us it's living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, that it would pierce our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would speak to our minds. And I pray that we would be built and shaped and equipped as your church today. Lord, I pray for some that will hear this message that do not know you. I pray in the hearing of the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, that today is the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that any hindrance to that would be removed. And I pray that in what we do and in this message that you are known, that you are preached, that you are glorified. And Lord, we, we trust it all to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the context so far as we begin, there have been seven seals on the scroll that have been broken. With the seventh seal, we find first, that there was silence in heaven. Then we find that there are seven trumpets to sound. So far in our study, six of those trumpets have sounded, and as they have told to us, revealed to us, are the judgments that accompany those trumpets. Uh, last week, if you remember, we saw that our God, he is a saving God. Now, I think that's an awesome thing. I think that's a magnificent thing. Our God, we can trust, he is a saving God. He truly wants people to be saved from his coming judgment of sin. We saw last week in our verses, because of his gracious and merciful and saving nature, that he sent two witnesses to testify to him. Well, Last week we saw in the first part of chapter 11 that these witnesses, they have been faithful to the mission. 
They have finished. They have completed the mission. The Bible says, and then they were killed in Jerusalem. The Bible also tells us after three days, they returned to life and they ascended to heaven while all of the world was watching. That's an awesome scene. I think about that all this week. Those, those faithful preachers testifying to Jesus, uh, they stand back to life and they ascend to heaven with their mission completed. Well, that brings us to our verses today. Again, our message today is entitled Promises Kept. Promises Kept. Let's begin verse by verse. Starting in the 14th verse, it says this. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. I remember there was an eagle flying in mid-heaven in the sky who lamented and who announced that there were three coming woes. A woe was a, a great dreadful agony. And so this eagle flies in the middle of the sky and he announces coming are three Great dreadful agonies. Well, in verse 14, it is now documented at this point in the revelation, two of those have passed. At this point in the revelation, two of those have been realized, and now the third woe is quickly coming. That's what the 14th verse tells us. The third woe is quickly coming. The second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I want to read that verse again. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Starting here in the 15th verse, there is a change. Where the first six trumpets have sounded, revealing God's judgment, we now have the sounding of the seventh trumpet, and there is now found a scene of celebration. That's what we're going to see today as the seventh trumpet blasts, there is now found a scene of celebration. John says the angel sounds the seventh trumpet. He says when he does that, there were heard loud voices in heaven. Now, uh, we're not sure exactly whose uh, those voices are. Some people try to break that down. I don't think we can determine that. We're not sure exactly who uh, those voices belong to, but we do know they are plural. We know they are many voices. We also know that those voices were loud. The word translates there, great voices. And so they are loud voices. Now, from, the, from the verb there in the verse, we see that they, these voices are repeating a message. Uh, it is a repetitive message that is declared. Now, the message is this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is the repetitive message that the loud voices are saying. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. 
Friends, I want you to understand this. This is the second greatest announcement you could ever hear. And I thought about that. I read that announcement, and it's an awesome announcement. But it is the second greatest announcement we could ever hear. The first great announcement, the greatest announcement we could ever hear is that we have a Savior in Jesus. Born for you today in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The greatest news we could ever hear is we have a Savior in the person of Jesus. And then I believe this is the second greatest announcement you could ever hear. And there is now victory in Jesus. That's what this is saying. There is now victory in Jesus. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Uh, our Lord is referring to God the Father. And so that's who it's referring to, God the Father. His Christ means his anointed one. It's talking about Jesus the saving Lamb of God. And so it is our Lord, God the Father, and His Christ, talking about Jesus the Lamb. The kingdom of the world has become their kingdom. Now when you hear that, you might say for a second, hold on a second, I thought it was already their kingdom. I thought they already possessed that, the world and all the things that were on it. And when you hear that, you might say, well, I thought that it already was. Well, here's Here's what we need to see. In our age, from the time of the fall of man into sin until this very point, Satan has been allowed to wreak havoc in the world. From the very first sin of man until this specific point, he has been allowed to rule on earth. He is called the prince of this age. He is called the prince of this world. Well, understand, now with this trumpet blast, it is announced that that time has ended. And so from the time of the very first sin until this trumpet blast, uh, it has been the age of Satan, and he has had rule on this earth. Well, now with this trumpet blast, that time has ended. At this point, Satan has had his day. He has postured as the Lord. He has posed as the light. He has sought to take from God his glory. He has hated God's truth. He has hated God's people. He is proud about, the Bible says, seeking somebody to destroy. He's been seeking the downfall of mankind. He has stolen. He has killed. He has lied. He has deceived. And now, at the blast of this trumpet, Jesus takes what is rightfully his, and Satan's reign of evil in that trumpet blast has ended. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine hearing that news? Can you imagine the day that news is broadcast? It is over. His reign is ended. His evil reign has ended. Praise the Lord. And it says, and he will reign forever and ever. And he will reign forever and ever. Let me show you something funny here. And he there is some, I didn't know this, but I found there is some difficulty in determining who this is talking about. And, and a whole bunch of scholars and, and folks that are, that are experts in the biblical language, uh, they, they have a hard time determining who this is talking about. And so it says, and he, and so they wonder, is he the Lord? Is that what it, who it's talking about? Is it talking about the Father? 
Uh, or is it the Christ? And so is he the one that is going to reign eternally? Is it talking to the anointed, the Christ? And so they spend this time trying to figure out who the he is that will reign forever and ever. Here's what I want you to see. I think this is silly. That difficulty is cleared up when we know we have a triune God. And so here's what I want to show you. It says, and he will reign. And so the question they have is, who? Who will reign? And the answer to that question is this. It's yes. The answer to that question is yes. Is it the Father that will reign? Yes, he will reign. Oh, is it the Son, the anointed Christ, the Messiah? Yes, he will reign. Is it the Holy Spirit of God? Yes, he will reign. Here's what the verse is saying. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. It's no problem at all. Then it says forever and ever, forever and ever. I like this. We've seen it before, uh, at least one other time in our study in Revelation. It translates unto the ages of the ages. That's the literal translation. Unto the ages of the ages. Now what that means is this. If you have an age of all of the ages. And so if you have an age, and in that age are all of the ages, and when you get to the end of the ages of that age, there is another age full of ages. That's what that means, if you can understand that. Hey, you get to the, to the age of the ages, and you run out of all the ages, guess what's around the corner? There's another age full of ages. It means infinite. That's what it means. It means infinite. Until the age of the ages, it means never ending. His reign, our God reigns, and his reign will have no end. It means the kingdom of God will be ruled by its rightful king forever and ever and ever. Amen. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. The 24 elders, they are sitting on their thrones. The Bible tells us that. They are before God. They are in the throne room of glory. And upon hearing that loud announcement, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Upon hearing the shout of those voices... The Bible says they fall from their seats worshiping God. Verse 17. Saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Verse 17 starts off and it says, we give thanks. Now I want to stop right here for just a second. Have you noticed yet how much of the worship of heaven is about thanking God? And you can go back and look through the episodes of Thanksgiving that we've passed through in our study, and you will notice how much of the worship of heaven is about thanking God. It is about giving thanks to God. We give you thanks is what they say. Now, let me, let me say this right here. Our worship and the depth of our worship and the posture of our worship would be greatly enhanced, listen to me very carefully, 
if instead of whining and instead of worrying and instead of sulking, we gave thanks to God. And I'm going to tell you what, our, our worship would be different if we started our prayers and we said, you know what, I, I'm thankful for our God and I'm thankful for His grace, and I'm thankful for my life that I get to live on this day, and I'm thankful for the sun coming up, and I'm thankful for our Savior Jesus, and that through Him there's the forgiveness of our sin. I'm thankful for a hope that endures. I'm thankful for a church that we get to walk with. I'm thankful for the Word of God that testifies of Christ, that speaks to us. I'm thankful for the peace that we have in our Savior Jesus. I'm thankful for the future that is ahead. If we just woke up and said, thank you, Lord, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. I decided something preparing this sermon, going through this study. I'm going to begin my prayers thanking God for 20 things. And I don't know why I picked 20 things, but there's at least 20 things every day to be thankful for. And I've decided to thank God for 20 things at the start of every prayer that I pray. I decided a few weeks ago, you remember the sermon about filling up bowls in heaven full of prayers. There was a sermon that says it is worship to fill up bowls in heaven full of prayers. I decided on that week, you know what, I'm going to fill up some bowls. And I'm going to honor Christ. And I'm going to submit to Him. And I'm going to pray. And now I've decided this week, you know what, I'm going to fill those bowls up with thanksgiving. I'm going to fill those bowls up with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. You are good and you are gracious. Thank you, Lord. It says we give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty. Now I want to pull off and look at this one word here. Almighty. That is an awesome thing. And we, we gain our confidence in what's happening here in this word. It's a wonderful word. It means powerful or power. But it's not just any power. So it's not just, not just any power, but it is power that's not overcomable. It is power that can't be withstood. You can't withstand this power. It is infinite power. It is overwhelming power. It says the Lord God, the Almighty, because He is the Almighty, listen to me, be sure of this, He will not fail. How do we know these things are going to happen? Because He will not fail. He cannot be stopped. He will not stop short. He won't be thwarted. His power will overcome, and that's who our God is, the Almighty. Praise the Lord. Because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. I think about something here. It's kind of a weird tension here. They were ready for the end. They were ready for the end. God, that you judge sin. God, that your kingdom would be established on earth. They were ready. I want to tell you, I think sometimes we're ready. And I think sometimes our prayers are like the, the martyrs that we read. How long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord? And I, I watch the news and I wonder when's enough going to be enough? And I see the things that are happening to those kids in Israel, and I say, when is enough going to be enough? How much more can we stand? How much more will you stand? How bad can it get? And then here's the tension against that. Do you know why he waits? Do you know why he waits? Come on, Lord, even so, come quickly. Do you know why he waits? He's powerful. He doesn't have to wait. He waits because he is gracious. And the Bible says he is patient, desiring that none should perish. You know why he waits? He waits that more folks would get saved. 
He waits that more folks would find our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we say, even so, come quickly. And he waits because he is a gracious God who saves. Verse 18, and the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small, the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 18, the trumpet is sounded. Here, here, here the kingdom comes. Uh, verse 18 tells us how it's going to go down. Verse 18 tells us what we can expect. It tells us how it's going to happen. Uh, the next chapters are going to explain it further. We'll understand it better as we move through the next chapters. But verse 18 tells us what we can expect. Here's what happens. The nations were enraged. They hated him. Doesn't our world hate Jesus? Isn't that a growing thing? The world hated him. It's enraged against Jesus. They hated the truth. And so guess what happens? It says, your wrath came. There will be a day when the judgment of God is poured out. And his judgment will roll out on those that have rejected him, those that exist in their sin. It will move forward. And your wrath came is what it says. And the dead were judged. I think we live, most people, like that's not a fact. And I think we go through, and, and, and we got some neighbors, and I have some family members that are lost, and we live, in, and, and, and we neglect the fact that the dead are going to be judged. Those outside of Christ, they have perished, and they will continue like that. They are judged. It is coming, and that's what it says. It says, and those who feared his name, his bondservants, the prophets, all of the saints, they will be rewarded. Hey, the Bible told us that's going to happen. Those that have, that have been faithful, they're going to be rewarded in the, these days. And it says that's going to happen. It says the small and the great. I, I love that part. The small and the great. Now I want you to think about this for a second. There are names of people who've been faithful. And those people, everybody knows their name. You can probably think about some of them. This person, they were a faithful missionary. This person, they were a, a faithful pastor. These, this person, they were a faithful leader in their community. There are folks that everyone knows their name, and they were faithful. And the Bible says, and they are great, and they will receive their reward. But I want to tell you, here's what I like about this. There are names that nobody knows. And maybe they worked down at the factory somewhere. Maybe they sold insurance somewhere. Maybe they worked and labored out on some farm somewhere, but there are names that nobody knows. But you know what? They were just as faithful. And God saw their faithfulness. He didn't miss it. God knew their struggles, and they are also rewarded. That's what the Bible says. And those who destroy the earth will be destroyed, it says. That's referring to the beast, the false prophet, Satan, and all of his demons. We know that they will meet their end as well. Then we have verse 19. Verse 19 is an awesome verse. Let me just say this. I don't usually uh, talk this big, but I'm going to go ahead and talk big right here. Verse 19 is, was worth your coming today. And I don't know if you're still weighing it out saying, well, I don't know if I had something better to do than this yet. But I want to tell you, verse 19 is going to be worth your coming today. Verse 19 is an awesome verse. Listen to verse 19. In the temple of God, the trumpet sounds kingdom of uh, the Lord and of his Christ, they have come. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. 
And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Let me explain that to you. The celebration is going on. They're worshiping God. The trumpet has announced the end of Satan's reign, and they're celebrating there in the host of heaven. God will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. And John looks over and he sees the temple of God in heaven. And the Bible says that it opens up, and as it does, there are strikes of lightning, there are flashes of lightning all around, there is thunder and it pounds, and there is thunder and it rumbles, and the earth shakes, and the Bible says there's a great earthquake, and hell falls from the sky. Can you imagine the scene? And there he looks, and there in the temple of God it says, there is the ark of the covenant. Let me describe the ark to you. Its lid, its top, is called the mercy seat. On each end of it, there are golden statues of the cherubim. They are facing each other on each end. On the mercy seat was where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the day of atonement. That's what would happen on that day. He would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat. This is the place where symbolically God's wrath for sin was satisfied and sin was atoned for. Inside the ark, the Bible tells us there is the rod of Aaron. Remember that account? Uh, the 12 leaders of the tribes, they each have a rod. They place their rods down. And it says that the rod of Aaron, uh, it would bud. Not only does it bud, it blooms and it produces almonds. And so that rod, his staff, is placed in the ark of the covenant. It was a reminder of the rebellion of the people and the need for a priest as a go-between. They were rebellious. They turned against God. And so they needed a priest as a go-between. This here was a particular reminder that God chose the people of the tribe of Levi for the position of priest. The priesthood would come through their line. Also on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant, it says there are the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. They were a reminder of the law of God given to Moses. Uh, also on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant, it says there was a golden bowl of manna uh, that was taken, provided from God while they were in the wilderness. They were to take some of that manna, they were to put it in this bowl, and it was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. It reminded them of the provision of God on that day of their bread. More than that, it reminded them and it served to remind them that God was their provider. If they were going to eat, if they were going to survive, they were going to look to God. He was their provider. This ark, it was also a symbol to the people of the presence of God. When they carried it into battle, when they carried it into Jerusalem, it represented the holy presence of God. This ark was holy because he was holy. Remember the account uh, when the ark was in transport and that poor guy falls and leans into it, the Bible says he dies for touching the ark of the covenant. God is holy. The ark of the covenant is because he is. And so this represented the glorious, majestic presence of God. Now I want you to think about all those things. But on top of that, I want you to think about its name. Its name was given by God. Its name represents and symbolizes the covenant of God. Listen, the Ark of the Covenant. Today we might say the Ark of Promise. 
This ark, when you saw it, it pointed to and it reminded of the promise of God. Now, I want you to see me, see this, stay with me here. For many years, the ark has been counted as lost. I'm talking about right now. For many years, the ark has been counted as lost. There was a movie when I was a kid. They spent four movies trying to find it. Some say it is hidden in the Dead Sea caves. There's folks, you can find them now, and they'll say, well, they believe this, and they believe that, and that's where it went, and it's hidden in the Dead Sea caves. There are others, and they would say, Jeremiah took it, and he hid it away. He knew what was coming. He took it, and he hid it away. There are others today that say an army has captured it. There are others that would say Nebuchadnezzar took it, and he melted it down. He didn't care what it was. He melted it down for its gold. There are others that say it is under the Temple Mount, and that somewhere on that Temple Mount there is a special place for it, prepared for it, and that is where it is. That's where it is. There are others today that say it is at the Vatican, and it has been under the clandestine care of successive popes. They've known where it's at, and they've kept it there at the Vatican. I want you to listen to me. The ark's not lost. The ark's not misplaced. Be sure of that. And as this trumpet sounds, and as the good news of God's kingdom is shouted out, as worship wells up and takes place in heaven, there it is. That's what the Bible says. There it is. There's the ark of the covenant, the ark of the promise. And it is a reminder, not one word of God has failed. There it is. And it is a reminder, not one word, not one promise is unfulfilled, but in Jesus, the Lamb of glory, listen to me today, the blood has been shed on the mercy seat. Atonement has been made. Through Jesus, the high priest, we now have our go-between. The bread of life has come, and eternal living manna, God himself has provided. The law has been fulfilled. God's presence is known. And listen to me, all of that is in Jesus. And John could look in and see it and those in the host of heaven they could look upon it and even us today through God's word we can see God's promises hold. God's promises are true and they are fulfilled each and every one in the person of Jesus. The promises are kept. There's victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. Praise the Lord. He looks over and he says, God is faithful. God is true. Every promise is kept. Praise the Lord. There's victory in Jesus. Today, let me tell you something. God's promise is a Savior. We have it in the person of Jesus. Are you listening? Our sin has earned a punishment, death. Shame, guilt, separation from God for all eternity. God has promised a Savior. We have it in the person of Jesus. Listen to me. God has promised salvation through the seed of Abraham, through the line of David, born for us as a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God has promised us salvation. Let me tell you what that promise means today. If you'll turn to Christ today, I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care how far you think you are from God at this moment. 
If you'll turn to Christ right now, the promise of God is this. He'll save you in this instant. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll restore you, redeem you, renew you, put you in the righteousness of Christ, standing before God the Father. He'll save you today. He's promised salvation. We have it in Christ. He's promised to us that are saved eternal life. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised that there's a victory coming, and he's told us that victory overshadows all that we have right now. That's the promise of God. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That old song, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises, I cannot fail. I want to tell you something. Our hope today is this. God has kept every word of every promise. And today we in faith can stand on those promises. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Turn to him today. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but the, the cares and the concerns of the world have crept back in on your life, I want to tell you this and claim those promises. Turn to Christ. Put your eyes back on Christ. The promises have been kept. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great Father, we come and we praise you today. We thank you today. We worship you. Lord, I'm thankful that we have a Savior. Thankful that we have salvation through your grace and your kindness and the sacrifice of Calvary. Lord, I pray as, we, as we've come to hear today, I pray for somebody who doesn't know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they would set down their pride. They would set down their love for their sin. They would turn to you and they would seek you. They would find you, Lord. That's what you tell us. That today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I, I pray for, for people that are hearing today, maybe in this room, maybe in some other way. I pray that any hindrance would be removed. And I pray that broken over our sin, we come and we seek the Savior, the remedy for that sin, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray for those looking for a church home. I pray for those walking in hard things. Pray for, for those that are living today in what seems to be the absence of peace all around us. I pray that we, we take hope and find peace in Jesus our Lord. Lord, I pray that you have spoken. I believe, I know that you have. I pray that in this time of invitation that you would continue to speak, that you would continue to work, and you would continue to move. And I pray the response of our hearts would be pleasing to you and be for your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you the good news of all of this is this. We have a Savior today. We have hope today. We have peace today in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, if you're sitting here and saying, you know what, I've heard this a million times, but it's never been personal to me. I've never done it. Maybe you're here and saying, I've, I've never heard this. But if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I see my sin and I'm sorrowful for my sin. And I need a Savior for that sin if you'll turn to Jesus right now, he'll forgive you. He'll restore you. Maybe that's your response today. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you never fought in believer's baptism. The Bible always says it's after salvation, not as part of it. It's by immersion, uh, testifying to what happened to Christ. He died, went into the grave, and came out of it. It's a picture of what we believe of Christ. It's a picture of what's happened to us in Christ. And so maybe you're here and you've put your faith in Christ, and you do trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism. Maybe you come today and you say, you know what, I want that testimony to stand in my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I want people to see it in the ordinance of baptism. You come and we'll set it today. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. 
Together we'll serve him and we'll stand on his truth and we'll exist for his glory until he comes back and gets us. Maybe today you're facing something that's tough. Maybe you're facing something that, that other folks know. Maybe something that nobody knows about. Maybe you're worried and you're anxious. And your answer today is the same. Put your eyes upon Christ. Trust it to Christ. And maybe you want to come pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is too big, the Bible says. Nothing is too small, the Bible says. So maybe that's your response today. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. We stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You can.